About an hour before landing, I suddenly started to hear people ooing and aahing, and when I looked out the window, I saw something that I had never seen before. I saw the bluest sea that you can imagine. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Today, I'm going to talk about my Maldives experience. It was at the end of my third summer season in Cyprus, which I haven't talked about yet, but will do in another episode. Because I want to change the scenery a bit, there will be so much more talking about Cyprus because I have been here forever. So, in October 1984, I received another one of those famous telexes. I remember that someone called me from the agency because they knew that I was waiting for news from Switzerland impatiently because I wanted to know where I was going. And the person who called me told me that a telex had arrived, but it was in German. So I jumped in my car and rushed to the office and there it was. Dear Miss Filliger, you will be spending the winter season in the Maldives. I was so excited and a little scared. I had never been to Asia before. And I had never been so far away from home before. I knew that I would be flying home from Cyprus to Switzerland for two weeks before my Maldives adventure. But I also knew that there wouldn't be enough time to get the vaccinations that I needed. So I had to do them in Cyprus before I left. And just that alone gave me a lot to think about. Because I had never been to a doctor in Cyprus and now I needed to get vaccinated. And I also don't think that many people from Cyprus were traveling to the Maldives in 1984. So anyway, it needed to be done. And off I went to the old Limassol hospital. And indeed, they knew what I was talking about when I said that I needed a yellow fever vaccination. Because myself, I hadn't heard of it before. And up until today, I still have my yellow international certificate of vaccination it has traveled with me all over the world because later on, when I was traveling further and when I was uh, accompanying uh, round trips, I needed more of those vaccinations, of course. But at that point, I didn't know about them. So fully vaccinated and briefed by the head office, I boarded a Balear flight at the beginning of November 1984 to Mali. And this was my first long distance flight ever. Do you remember when people smoked on planes? It was only in 1988 that the US government banned smoking on planes and after that many other countries followed. I so very clearly remember that being on this nine and a half hours flight which took me further and further away from home and even though I had already lived abroad for three years I suddenly felt terribly homesick and scared. I had hardly slept on the flight and when the day broke I went to the back to the toilet and I smelled all that stale cigarette smoke and I started feeling sick. About an hour before landing I suddenly started to hear people ooing and aahing and when I looked out the window I saw something that I had never seen before. I saw the bluest sea that you can imagine and lots of tiny little dots which were little islands with sand rings around them. The Maldives archipelago consists of 1190 tiny islands or 26 different atolls or collections of islands, that's what they are called, and they're scattered across the Indian Ocean. 
Only 185 of these islands are inhabited. Some of them are tourist resorts, some are used for agriculture, and some are local islands, but there is no mix between tourists and locals. It's either or. And then lots of them are not inhabited. It looked stunning. And shortly after we landed at Male International Airport, and I had shown my passport and my vaccination certificate, I was warmly welcomed by the rep that I was going to replace. What really made an impression on me was that none of these reps were wearing a uniform. And I know or I knew that our company was very strict about wearing a uniform at the airport. But this place was just far too casual for it. Everyone was in shorts, a t-shirt with the company name printed on it, and flip-flops. And I also found out later on that even flip-flops were already very formal, because most of the time we were barefoot. The transfer on a doni, that's what those famous traditional Maldivian boats are called, and it is said that their build is inspired by the ancient Arabian sailing dhows, commonly used as trading ships in the Indian Ocean around the 11th century. So the Doni ride took about an hour from the airport to Baros, which was going to be my home for the next five months. What I also learned only recently was that these captains of the Doni still do not use a GPS or a compass to navigate through the islands and the atolls. They find their way throughout the coral labyrinths helping themselves with the bow of their dornies and the stars. During clear nights, some even have this rare ability to carefully observe the moves of the lagoon, the surface of the water to avoid the coral reefs. So I had arrived and I was given one of the waterfront bungalows for a week because my predecessor was still staying in the staff bungalow that I was going to live in once she left. I had arrived in paradise. The place looked like one of those bounty chocolate commercials. I couldn't stop looking. I got introduced to all the staff, the island chief Sahir, the boys in the office, Sepp, the, dive, the German diving instructor, Louise from Kuani, London, and the lovely windsurfing instructor whose name, unfortunately, I don't remember. These were the people that I was going to have breakfast, lunch and dinner with for the next five months. After a week, the girl that I was replacing left and I was alone. And I moved into the staff bungalow, which was near the reception. Later on, when new guests arrived, we used to sit outside our bungalows and we looked at the people who had arrived and we wondered how they would be behaving on our island for the next one or two weeks. People looked so tired and confused when they arrived after their long flights and the dawny ride. And even though it was tropically hot, some of them were wearing thick jackets that they had brought from Germany or from Switzerland where it was winter when they left because they had forgotten to They put them on after they got off the plane and they had forgotten to take them off. It was funny. We used to laugh because... As soon as the boatload of people arrived at the reception, one of the waiters would arrive with a tray of rolled towels, rolled wet towels, and sometimes people thought it was something to eat and they would bite in it and we would watch. 
for some odd reason, and I don't remember where I had it from or why I had it, but I had a small Swiss flag hanging outside my bungalow window. And I cannot tell you how many times arriving guests, especially the British, confused my Swiss flag with a medical Red Cross flag and asked me, are you the nurse? We all used to burst out laughing when somebody asked this question for the hundredth time. We were so bored that any distraction was welcome. Our workload in the Maldives was relatively easy. Our guests were mostly divers or couples on honeymoon. They didn't need us much. I was responsible for three islands, Baros, where I lived, Wabin Faru, which was visible from Baros, and Retira, which was quite far away. But it was managed by a Swiss couple and our clients were in good hands there. Our main arrivals came on a weekly charter flight from Zurich and I used to meet my other Swiss colleagues from other tour operators at the airport and have a little chat. But once in a while, I also had guests arriving in the middle of the night on a flight from Singapore. I had a love-hate relationship with that flight. On the one hand, I didn't hardly got any sleep because it arrived at two o'clock in the morning and by the time... We got back on the island, it was nearly daylight, but on the other hand, it was such an amazing experience to be on the Dorney in the night, in the middle of the night. I used to lay down on the deck and watch the stars, and I have never seen so many shooting stars in my whole life, like during those nights in the Maldives. I guess that's why I created such a beautiful life for myself and my family, because all my wishes came true. The Maldives owns the title of the lowest country in the world, with an average of only one and a half meters above sea level. Basically, it's all sandbanks. And the population in the Maldives is 100% Islamic. In fact, the only other country in the entire world with a 100% Muslim population is Saudi Arabia. I know that Mali has changed a lot since I was there. But just before I arrived, the Grand Friday Mosque with its golden dome started dominating the skyline of Mali. I remember looking at it from the airport because the airport is on, on another island and it used to be shining in the, in the sunlight. It was built with the help of the Gulf states, Pakistan, Brunei and Malaysia. That I remember because I used to do little city tours in Mali. When I was in Baros, there were 50 guest bungalows on the island and we could have a maximum of 100 people when all the rooms were filled with two. Obviously, the size of the island hasn't changed, but I have seen pictures that they built some overwater villas. When I was there, life was very simple. We had one phone on the whole island and it was in the office behind the reception. When I received a call, somebody from the staff came looking for me and I was either out sunbathing, swimming, windsurfing or snorkeling. And then I would just walk into that office in my swimsuit with a towel wrapped around me. And I wonder sometimes today what these guys thought about us crazy Europeans. Most of the time it was my agent in Baros telling me that I received a telex and when he read it to me, I couldn't understand the word because he had such a heavy accent. I needed to go and pick it up, which meant an hour one way by Dorney, 
But the perks about going to Male was getting an ice cream from Gabbiano. There was an Italian ice cream shop right where the boats arrived. Food on the Maldives in these years was very simple. Breakfast was butter, jam and toast. Lunch was fish and rice. And dinner was rice and fish. That's what we used to laugh about. It wasn't 100% true. There was a little bit more variety, but not really much. Our island had a Sri Lankan chef and we did get occasional vegetables and salad and fruit and stuff imported from Sri Lanka. But generally it was very simple. The shower water was half salty. The first desalination plants were only built after I left. And one felt constantly a little sticky because we had showered with semi-salt water. Life was so different. When I look back at how I lived there for five months, it's hardly imaginable today. I started becoming more and more daring and I used to windsurf from Baros to Wabinfaru, which was an hour one way. And I used to do that to visit my clients in Wabinfaru. I always ask the windsurfing instructor to keep an eye on me. But when I think back today and I think of all the sharks in the water, it makes me shiver a little bit. Our conversations at the staff table with the same people day in and day out were really funny sometimes. Like, for example, at dinner, we would ask each other, what are you doing tonight? And one would say, oh, um, tonight I'm going to the theatre. And then the other one would say, well, I'm going to the cinema tonight. And of course, we all knew that we couldn't go anywhere. We lived on a resort island and there was nowhere to go. So we all met in the bar 15 minutes later. The highlight of the week was when the band came to play. Once a week, we had the opportunity to dance our hearts out. And because we knew that they would only be back a week later, we did. We danced until they left. There were no TVs, no video, no internet, nothing. It's hardly imaginable. I read a lot of books. Most people who stayed there for two weeks used to leave their stuff with us, their books, their snacks that they had left, their shampoos. There was nowhere to shop, so we were quite happy about everything we got. After a while and a lot of pressure from the diving instructor, I started taking diving lessons. Every time he had a beginner's class, he told me to join and finally I gave in. And from then on, went diving at least twice a week or more. The house reef of Baros is recognized as one of the finest in the Maldives and it has its own manta point. I used to love watching those amazing creatures, but I also loved watching the turtles and all colors of fish. And I used to go on a shark feeding excursion. Diving in the Maldives is like putting your head in an aquarium. I became quite an expert after a while. And I even started joining the night dives, which are amazing because the sea looks so different in the night and many marine animals are nocturnal. After three months, I needed to leave the country to get a new stamp in my passport. The Republic of Maldives did not give any work permits to tourism representatives. 
So my head office booked me a flight to Singapore and a hotel for three days. When I was getting ready to go to the airport, I had two problems. My feet had expanded because I hadn't worn any shoes for three months. And it was very painful to put my shoes on. And the back of my passport, which had been in a drawer for three months in my bungalow, had gotten moldy at the back from the humidity. It wasn't so bad, but I thought it was terribly funny. So I boarded Singapore Airlines and after takeoff went to the toilet and for the first time in three months washed my hands with sweet water. What a wonderful feeling. I couldn't stop touching my hands afterwards. They were so soft and not sticky anymore. I spent three wonderful days in Singapore and I was in a big Asian city for the first time. And somehow I started realizing that there was more to a tour guide's life than summer and winter seasons. I was a little shy at the time and I didn't enjoy Singapore the way I did later in the years when I came back, when I was accompanying bigger tours, when I went there with tour groups. But I had smelled the idea of traveling more and it took a while until I had the courage to do that. I think, though, that the idea was born in Singapore in January 1984. Somehow the world had just opened a little bit more for me. After the three days, I went back to Baros with a new stamp in my passport. And I knew that I was going to stay for another two months. And I started getting a little bored because another two months on an island that you can walk around in 10 minutes is a very long time once the novelty of paradise has worn off. But we kept ourselves busy, entertained. I went on more dives, more windsurfing adventures. And we also organized a couple of overnights on a deserted island for which we needed to get the permission of the government of the Maldives. This was a unique experience to do. We spent the afternoons and nights without any electricity, no facilities. We had tents. The boys had come with us with the supplies. And I remember watching them climb a tree to get a coconut. And I don't think any coconut in my life ever tasted better than the ones that were picked by the boys from the Maldives who accompanied us to these tours. After five months, I was happy to leave paradise and fly back to Cyprus and then start another season there. I have never been back to the Maldives since then. I would actually love to go sometimes. I know that tourism has developed from the two resorts, Kurumba and Bandos, which were there in 1972. That's when the tourism started. To 132 now. When I was there, there were only resorts in the North Male and South Male Atoll, and they were developing, they started building on Ra Atoll, I think, and on Ari Atoll. But now, so many others have been developed, and now there are seaplanes and desalination plants and spas and cafeterias, hotel chains. There is absolutely no comparison to my stay when I was there in the 80s. But I am so grateful for this experience, for this opportunity that I had then. I spent hours on the Doni 
And when I wanted to go to Retira, for example, I had to go and change Doni at the airport, which meant one hour from Baros to Male and then three hours to Retira. It was like going to the main train station and changing a train. Sometimes when Mr. Sahir, the manager of Baros, was in a good mood and didn't need his speedboat, he let me have it and I was transported to Retira in a bit less, I don't remember, maybe a little bit more than an hour. And I felt like a queen arriving on the speedboat. Yes, things have changed. The Maldives have evolved, like all places in the world. A couple of years ago, Hulule, the airport island, which was an island on its own, has been connected by the China-Maldives Friendship Bridge, the first cross-sea bridge in the Maldives, which was built by a Chinese company. I know that everything we experience makes us the people we are today. I learned so much on Baros. I learned patience, compassion. I also learned communicating without knowing a language. Because I remember I was told by the manager to punish my room boy who had walked in on me when I was changing clothes because he thought that I was out diving. He was probably more shocked than I but I needed to show him that I disapprove by not talking to him anymore. And a couple of days later, my bed was covered with flower petals. That was his way to apologize to me for his mistake. And I think that was so sweet. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.